There we go. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about freedom in Christ uh, in, in Galatians 5, 1 through 12. And what does it mean to be free in Christ? Uh, this freedom in Christ, especially if you've been a believer for a while, freedom in Christ can be really difficult to navigate. Like it can be really challenging to figure out what does it mean to be free uh, in Christ. It's, it's challenging this side of eternity. Uh, if, you're fo- if you're confused on the nature of what it means to be free in Christ, you're not alone. Uh, I sometimes forget what it means to be free in Christ, and I have to remind myself. Uh, is freedom licentiousness? And what I mean by that, licentiousness just means liberty at abandoned, without responsibility. So freedom in Christ is not licentiousness. Uh, it's not doing anything we want to do without regard for God's moral will for us. Uh, that does, that's not what it means to be free in him. God says, thou shall not murder, right? You shall not covet, you shall not steal. Being able to do those things because we're free is not freedom. On the other hand, it's also not legalism. And legalism is doing any kind of behavior to try to win the approval of each other or try to win the approval of God. So it's, it's not licentiousness and it's not legalism. Uh, in Romans 6, 1 through 12, in regards to licentiousness, Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Because he talked about, you know, that God's grace can cover any act. Um, I wrote a paper one time on, on Ted Bundy. And if you know Ted Bundy, Ted Bundy was a notorious serial killer. I wrote a paper on Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer, it is said, became a Christian later in life while he was incarcerated. Does God's grace cover Jeffrey Dahmer? Absolutely. Absolutely it does. But should Jeffrey Dahmer or any of us go on doing wicked things because we're now under grace? Paul says, far from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And when we talk about legalism, Jesus said in Mark 10, 17 through 18, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him, that's Jesus, capital H, and knelt before him. And he asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? This is Jesus' response. I love Jesus because it goes right to the heart. He says, but Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, Jesus wasn't saying in his reply, I'm not good. (laughs) Jesus was the son of God, perfectly holy, perfect. What he was saying is, I know your heart. This rich young man had done all these things, all these legalistic things to try to become saved. Jesus got right to it because he knew he was rich. And, and And he was basically saying to him, I know that your riches are what are holding you back. That's your true heart matter. You're trying to get there on your own accord by your own effort and earn it and have control of it. And Jesus went right to that. And Jesus was basically saying only God is good. Only God is internally, intrinsically, naturally good. We're not naturally good within ourselves. We don't have a perfectly uh, good nature. So let's, if you want to take the time now, go ahead and turn to Galatians, or yeah, turn to Galatians 5, 1 through 2. And I'm going to go ahead and read the passage. We're going to kind of hop about, and I'm, you know, the book of the Bible is amazing. The Bible is a coherent book. It's, it's in history, it's sound. Uh, it's, it's rationally sound. You can look at parts of it, and it ties together. It's a supernatural book orchestrated by God. So I'm going to tie in a bunch of scriptures today. We're also going to focus on this passage. So I'm going to go ahead and read this to us real quick. It was for freedom 
that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, tell you that if you have yourself circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who has himself circumcised that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear the punishment, whoever he is. But as for me, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been eliminated. I wish that those who are troubling you would even masculate themselves. Let's pray for just a minute and then we'll get into the get into the main heart of of the message. Uh, Father God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I just three in one uh, perfect relationship. I just thank you for today. Lord, I, I pray what a privilege to be here and what a privilege to speak uh, in, your, in your behalf, Lord, and, and to let you use my mouth and my mind for your glory. Uh, and I just pray, Lord, I let go of all self-consciousness right now and I let go of pride, um, any of those kinds of things, Lord, that I would be your mouthpiece and that you would use me according to what you want to speak to everyone here. God, open each person's heart. This is a difficult area, Lord. So many people live in bondage uh, when they are free. Lord, it is by grace we are saved. It is because of you that we are saved. I just pray this morning that you would open our minds to the reality and the truth of who you are, and that each person would walk away with something that, not just something to try to practice, Lord, but something that would revolutionize the way they view you and their connection with you. I just ask these things in Jesus' name. I love you. Thank you for being in our lives. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So my my heart today, the the goal that I have in this is that I, I hope that I can bring us both joy and peace in the way that we understand the freedom of Christ. Based on Galatians 5, what it shares and other passages also in the Bible. Uh, In a real way, I hope to free us to think accurately about freedom in Christ uh, and to live in that freedom, to to seize it, uh, because it's been bought and it's been freely given to us. It's the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's grace, forgiveness, hope. And so I'm hoping to inspire us to move through that. The way we're going to do this, the way we're going to accomplish this, we're going to ask three questions today. So we're going to talk all about freedom in Christ. We're going to say, what is freedom? How does freedom actually operate? How does it work? And then the real important question, the most difficult question is, how do we live in that freedom? I mean, on a practical level, how do we live as believers in the freedom of Christ? So what is freedom? And if you're seeing that up on there, the first bullet point is free, fallen, free. And sometimes the best way to understand what something is, is to look at what something's not. And so I think it's good to talk about what Walters uh, wrote a book called Creation Regained, theologian. It's called The Grand Narrative. If you've not heard of it, it's the themes of God's story for history. 
So there's creation. God creates the world, the heavens and the earth. He puts everything in place. All the physics are operating properly. He creates humanity. And then, of course, we know that Satan enters the picture and Satan deceives Eve. Adam's also deceived. He participates. He's right there and just as responsible. Humanity falls. Uh, It's a tragedy. It's a horrible darkness. Separation happens. And then Christ comes. He planned in the beginning to come. He comes. He dies on a cross. He pays the price for God's righteous judgment, saves those who will accept him, right, who will believe. And that's where we're at. We're waiting for the return of Christ, the full redemption of his return and for the glorious eternity. If you're a believer, that's, that's where we're at in the story. So I want to I read this passage here. Listen to this from Romans 8. And this describes, describes where we're at in the fall. It says, For the eagerly awaiting creation waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also be set free from its slavery to corruption, sin, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. There's that word freedom again. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. And not only that, but also we ourselves, each of us, have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our body. Anybody ever have, you ever have a moment that, like that in life? It's dark. You're like, I love life. I love the people I love. But boy, things are tough right now. I could potentially give up. That's, that's the fallen world. That's how dark life can get. Let me read you something here. This is uh, John Townsend. Uh, he is a uh, professor, a researcher, a theologian. Uh, he got his uh, theological seminary degree at Dallas Seminary. He's a clinical psychologist. And I want to read the way that he describes uh, the fall here. Adam and Eve had an awesome responsibility. Uh, They represented God on earth, the way ambassadors in foreign countries represent their president. Adam and Eve were given the job to rule the earth the way God would have. Had there been no fall, capital F, perhaps you and I would would still be ruled by Adam and Eve on earth. Rebellion against God, however, ripped rulership from their hands. They were disqualified. The result was that the dominion of God was lost. And though God was the rightful ruler, his creation began moving away from his rule. Since that time, God has instituted other leaders to govern the patriarchs like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the judges and prophets and kings. They have been allowed by him to govern. To govern, The most high God is ruler over the realm of mankind, and he sets over it whomever he wishes. That's in Daniel 5.21. But it hasn't gone well. <laughs> Like a progressive disease, each ruler, though allowed by God, has for the most part moved further away from the ideal of pre-fall Adam and Eve. Instead of authorities over earth in God's image, we became the opposite, slaves to sin. Instead of reigning over the planet, we experience sin's reign over us. This is a tragic turn of events. The representatives of the king became prisoners, and this is the motivation behind the coming of Christ. His death freed us from the bondage of eternal isolation and darkness. Having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. The Son, capital S, under the authority of the Father, 
gave us the freedom to be reestablished as image bearers to work again in the role of subduing and ruling. Barnes, a biblical commentator, describes freedom in the passage of Galatians as liberty, the opposite of being entangled or being under a yoke of bondage. Some writers have described the fall as prolific, and that's just a way of saying that it runs through everything. If you drop, you drop a red ink in a glass of water, the whole water starts to have a red tint. That's the way the fall is. It runs throughout everything. I, we don't have to look far to see that, to convince ourselves. Death, fear, suffering, wars, famine, earthquakes, uh, just tons of tragedies all, all throughout life. But what does it personally mean on an individual level to be fallen? Uh, Adam, Adam said to God, and this was in the garden, and the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. That's in Genesis 3, 9 through 10. Now, what does it mean to be naked? Uh, and not to make things awkward here, but we typically associate nakedness with being uncovered, right? It's a physical thing. I personally think that part of being naked is not physical. Of course it is physical, but what it really does is it reflects a deeper underlying psychological state of being fallen. It reflects a self-consciousness. Uh, it reflects a vulnerable awareness, a concern with how we might be perceived and rejected and viewed insufficient. And that happened in the, that happened in the fall. Uh, the fall introduced two kinds of death. It introduced a spiritual death, and it introduced a physical death. Now, God introduced the physical death. It was, it was merciful. He didn't want them to eat from the tree of life and live forever in their present state. So that was an act of mercy. Spiritual death is being separated uh, from God permanently, relationally, for eternity. The fall bound our human will. We, were no, we no longer had a free will. Those who do not have Christ are not truly free. It takes the Holy Spirit to set us free. To supernaturally enable us is a way, to, is a way of saying God did it. Super, when you hear the word supernatural, <laughs> you're hearing the word God did it. God did it. It was beyond human capability. Uh, he's the one that empowers and saves us to live a new life. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. I often think of Adam and Eve. Can you imagine what it was like for them? Created without a sinful will. I can't imagine because from the time I was little, I've had a sinful will. I knocked my older brother out, 10 years older. I knocked him out with a padlock when I was two years old. Threw it and hit him in the head. I, I, have, a, I have a poor record right from the start. Uh, and I think my most wicked point in life was before I knew Christ. And at five years old, I came to know Christ. That's the point at which I had the most potential for the most wickedness. Praise Jesus that, that I was saved, that I know him. To have freedom means to have the Holy Spirit in you, to be able to have friendship with God again and to choose to agree with him in what he says is good and right and holy. It's to be able to behave in godly ways, to not be a slave to behaving in poor, sinful, ungodly ways. That's, that's freedom. It's to be assured that you have eternity ahead of you with God. If you're a Christian, a believer, you will have eternity with God and all the others who believe. You will get, the scriptures say, a new body. <laughs> There'll be a new heaven and a new body. I'm looking forward to that because I'm getting into my late 40s and I'm a very conservative snowboarder now. 
because I get on the slope and I think I'm going to, I could break myself today and I might not recover. I might not be able to operate right. So I'm looking forward to a heavenly body. And I think heaven's going to be an amazing place full of lots of activity and glory and praise. Through Christ, we're freed from the two deaths of the fall, the spiritual death or what I would call the psychological death and the physical death. We're free to a godly will that is no longer ruled and dictated by a sinful nature. That's what freedom means. And just a few, a few more tidbits here on freedom before we move on to how freedom works in Christ. I want to dispel this myth. There is no freedom apart from God. There's no freedom apart from God. I'll read a few scriptures here. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say I'm a way. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth. What's the difference in truth? Truth is what is. Another word for truth is reality. Truth is what is. A lie is what is not. And this is says in John 8, 36. So if the sun sets you free, you'll really will be free. Freedom is life with God forever. It's a renewed will that is in tune with God. Some would like a third option. And I, and I, can, I can relate to that. They don't want God and they don't want hell. They want an option where they're independent and self-sufficient from God. But this is, this is exactly what the devil did in the beginning, is he created this illusion of a third option. I always like to use this analogy of God. You have a room, and in this room you have a healthy, ferocious, hungry tiger. Everybody been up to tiger up close? I mean, a lot of their backs will probably stand here on me, right? And the rest of us, all of us in here today, here's the wall. We're in the other room, and there's a door, right? And my brother-in-law, Steve, says, I don't believe in tigers. I said, okay, great. That's good for, good for you. That's called, this third option is called relativism. I believe what I think to be true, and I make it to be true, even though in reality, when push comes to shove, when that door opens and that tiger comes out, it doesn't matter whether I believe in a tiger or somebody believes in a tiger or that kind of thing. The tiger is the tiger. And that's the reality of God. And, and thank him that he's not like the tiger, that he gives grace and that when we're saved, he's not gonna just eat us alive. So there's no middle ground. There is darkness and there is light with a capital L. Some other option is a lie and a myth. And that's what Satan introduced in the garden. Hey, you'll be self-sufficient. You can be independent. You don't need God. You can have it all for yourself. God's been holding out on you. But this is a lie that we, we even see in modern society, that there's some other way, and there's just not. The scripture makes that very clear. So freedom is not the freedom to sin. Sin is death. It's being enslaved. It's having an enslaved mind. It's an enslaved will. It's separation, pain, suffering. And those who do not have Christ already live this kind of life. It's not a free life. It really isn't. Freedom is not liberty to be, to be bound to a sinful will, but freedom from a sinful will. Freedom is right relationship with God. It is desiring what God desires. So freedom, we'll move on to how, you know, how does freedom work? Freedom was not free. Freedom was infinitely costly. The cost was so vast it could never be paid but by one, one with a capital O, by the one, Jesus Listen to this prophetic description in Isaiah 53, and I'm going to read this to you real quick. This talks about Christ. This is a, a prophecy of Christ. And if you know the Old Testament, there are hundreds of prophecies in the Bible that were fulfilled by Christ. Listen to this description, though, of our, of our Savior. It is awesome. 
Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him, capital H, like the father, father God, like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look at him. So he's an average guy, uh, nor an appearance that we would take pleasure in him. He was despised and abandoned by men, a man of great pain and familiar with sickness and like one from who people hid their faces. He was despised and we had no regard for him. However, it was our sicknesses that he himself bore and our pains that he carried. Yet we ourselves assumed that, it, that he had been afflicted, struck down by God and humiliated. In human terms, we thought, this is a nobody. He's not successful. All of us like sheep. Oh, let me go back. But he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We're all fallen. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the wrongdoing of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. And like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, for the wrongdoing of my people to whom the blow was due... And his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. He did not sin. But the Lord desired to crush him, causing him grief. If he renders himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and he will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And as a result of the anguish of his soul, we'll talk more about that in a second. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, for he will bear their wrongdoings. And therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the plunder with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was counted with wrongdoers. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for wrongdoers. That's quite a biography, <laughs> quite a biography. That is the description of the God that we serve. If I was better with my technology, you'd have a smoother experience here. There we go. So freedom is expensive. It was costly. Jesus experienced his own, crea his own creation torturing him beyond recognition. What is it like to have your own creation spit on you? What is that like to create, to create humanity and have him spit on? To nail you to a piece of wood. To perceive you as insignificant. Dismiss you with laughter and mocking. And I don't ask this to incite guilt in any of us, but, but I want to make the contrast of the depths that which Jesus went to so joyously for us. Hebrews 12.2 says, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He didn't go begrudgingly. He went like a champion. He was willing to be there for us. He, he willingly did what he did. Freedom cost us nothing. And it cost Christ everything. Freedom does not involve a payment plan. <laughs> Thank goodness. It doesn't involve interest. Nothing is owed. Now, or in the future. If you're a Christian, you owe nothing now and you owe nothing in the future. It's not going to change. Remember Jesus' words hanging on the cross, breathing his last breath? What, what did he say? It is finished. It is finished. I looked up the word so I could be sure to pronounce it uh, good today. Tetelestai, right? I mean, I imagine him dying. Can you imagine? Tetelestai. <laughs> Done. 
It is finished, paid, bought, won, right? It's over. It's over. God purchased salvation. The Greek word translated for salvation is soteria, and it denotes, and I love this, deliverance and preservation, safety, preservation from danger or destruction. There's also no sell-by date on, on the freedom that Jesus bought and has freely given. 1 Peter 3.18 reads, For Christ also suffered for the sins, and listen to this, these words, these four, once for all time, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus is no longer on the cross. And of course we think of the cross a lot, because it's what bought our freedom. That's where Jesus took on the behavior and the act of dying for us. That's where he bought our freedom. But he's not there anymore. He is living and alive and moving. And he is a conqueror and he will return as a conqueror. Jesus is no longer on there. He's risen. He's the victor and he has won. The scoreboard's frozen. It can't be undone. (laughs) Jesus, victorious, right? The fall, sin, death, Satan, lost. It won't be changed. The board is frozen. The score is up there and it's forever. Uh, In addition to a free gift of freedom, by grace alone, our freedom doesn't have that sell bay date. It's not, and listen to this, this is really important, especially if you're in the thick of things when you're walking with the Lord. It's not nullified by what we do or don't do, good or bad. That doesn't change your salvation. It's not canceled by time, culture, events of any kind, or even by the way you feel about it by the way we feel about it, if you're ever doubting or feeling down about it. It is forever relevant and potent, you know, as powerful as it was the moment Jesus declared to Telestai. We, we can say something's finished. I can, I can say, oh, my boys will never crush me again in that video game. But that's not the reality. They, they will. But when God says something is finished, it is finished. It is wrapped up. The furniture is bolted in. It's perfectly sanded. It is beautiful. Listen to Jesus in John 27. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So remember what freedom is. Freedom is being free of being bound to a sinful will into the freedom of a godly will. Freedom from sin into good works, into righteous living. So we've established how freedom works and what freedom is. Freedom works in this way. It's infinitely costly. It was paid permanently. It does not expire. We can't lose it and we can't earn it. It is given and paid for. Now, all of this is true, but the difficult part, what do we often struggle with? How do we live freedom? In the practicality of things, how do we live according to truth, according to what's real? I think there are three sources that interfere with living three. There's, there's obviously Satan. So there's all the angels that chose with Satan to defy God. And they have a different destiny because they're angels. They were fully aware of God. There's no hope for them. And there's others. There's others, believers and non-believers. We do it to each other. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes we, we heap on shoulds on each other. You should. They should. He should. She should. We do it. So we do it to each other. Maybe not intentionally all the time, hopefully. And then there's ourself. I think ourself is probably the big one. But those are the three things that keep us from living free, uh, embracing our freedom. The devil, others, and ourself. 
Revelation 12.10 says this of Satan. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Is that not complete wickedness? Satan was in the garden. He participated. He was the deceiver, right? And then he goes to God and he accuses us. He played in the game. He had his hand in the cookie jar as well, right? That's just complete, complete wickedness. Others can cause us to doubt our freedom. Look again at Galatians 5, 7. It says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Reality. Emphasis on truth here. Another word for truth is what's real. What is reality? One author called it prime reality, that which is the most real, and that would be God. Others can promote doubt for us in reality, right? Especially if, I lo- if I'm really close. Let's say, let's say I respect Luke. You know, Luke's an officer, and I, I got this thing going, and he tells me something. If he's my friend and we're close, it might cause me to doubt what I believe. Now, I don't think he would tell me anything that's not in, in line with Scripture, but other people can talk to us that we're close to and, or we respect, and it can cause us to doubt the word. It can cause us to doubt the truth. Third, we can cause ourselves to doubt freedom. So there's many reasons for this self-doubt. Family of origins. What family did you come from? How did your parents raise you? Did you have to earn love or was it freely given? All those kinds of things can cause that from our histories, our past. The way we view love a lot of times from other people is the way we view God. Ignorance. I never pick up the scriptures. I don't read the Bible. I don't know what the truth says. That can cause me to have doubts about God and to not know what the truth is forgetfulness. This is me. There's some deep theological issues. I, I do this a lot. About twice a year, I, I review the same theological issues. And one of these times, I'm going to be smart and write it down. So I, I read something. It doesn't set with me right. I go to the commentary. I go to the scriptures. I read. I go, oh, yeah, that's right. That's, that's what's true about that. I, it was coherent with the whole scripture. So we can forget what we've read or what we've been taught. And then I think this is the biggest one. This is, this is false guilt. Because we have fallen natures, we can have false guilt. And false guilt is really my need to do something, even though my heart of hearts has a sick feeling and I, and I know that it's making me feel guilty in a bad way. You know the difference with righteous guilt? And I can feel it in my own heart. When I have righteous guilt, I sincerely want to change. If I hurt my wife's feelings, I sincerely want to apologize. Not because I want to say I need to be right, you know, I got to get back on my checklist of my, my legalism, my do's and don'ts, but because I really care. You can feel the Holy Spirit in you, and it's a forward-moving thing. It's a positive, transforming thing that produces good change. False guilt is more like something I do, and then I feel taken advantage of. And then I say, oh, I could have done better. Boy, I'll, 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 I'll pick myself up. I'll do better next time. So false guilt. So those are a lot of reasons personally why we can threaten our freedom. But Paul says of this freedom in Galatians 5.8, this persuasion did not come from him, and this is again, capital H, who calls you. Freedom is God's institution. He made it, he paid for it, and he wants you as a Christian to live in that freedom. Uh, What he has made is yours. Uh, I like this analogy. So I've learned a lot by being a dad. I learned a lot about God by being a dad. Because once I began to realize how I feel about my sons, I began to realize how God feels about me. And so if I went and I paid for something, if I fought in a war or I did something so that my sons could have something, 
so that they could have freedom or something better, I wouldn't want them to not embrace it. I wouldn't want them to, to sit back and be like, I don't know, I'm not sure I'm free. I would want them to, to, with the gusto, say, my father paid for this. It's mine. It's my birthright. I own it. I own it. And that's the way that God feels about us. Uh, listen to this in Matthew 7, 9 through 12, and listen to the heart of God. What person is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he'll not give him a snake, will he? So if you, Quinn, <laughs> despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and prophets. Jesus is saying to us, this is me. This is how I treat you. I love you. That's God's heart for you. So can you can you lose your freedom? I brought I love props. It's my, like, one of my favorite things. I think I would have made a good like Gallagher or something, you know, throwing watermelons and stuff. So this is what we do a lot of times. We don't see this on the outside, right? As as Christians, we don't see this. But what happens? We start to doubt from the devil, others, ourselves. We're free, right? But what do we do, right? Oh, well, you really, you know, that's, that's good. But if you love Christ, you would do X. You know what? You're, you're right. I will. I'll, I'll do X. Oh, you're, you're doing well, Quinn. Yeah, no, but, you know, if you were a real believer, uh, you, you might, you, might uh, you know, go over to Goodwill every Sunday and you might do these things. And I'm not saying we don't do good things, but it's the reason psychologically we do things. You know what? You're right. Oh, I'm, I'm free. I'm definitely a free believer. Let me just, let me just do this. And I'll, I'm going to get this out. Now, there's no lock on this. I'll just keep it on for a little while. Right? So let's read this in Romans 8, 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was to the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled. That sounds a lot like finished, to tell us die, paid for. In us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. According to the Spirit, live in us. Galatians 5, 3 through 6 says this, And I testify again to every man who has himself circumcised that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are awaiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. This is an important passage. That I think we unpack this real quick. The game of law versus the game of grace. Uh, it's, it's saying here that, hey, that, that game of law, it's an unwinnable game. You can't win it. You'll never pay it. It's something so expensive that you could never pay it back. It's like me getting an invoice that's, that's infinite, that I can never pay for the services rendered of Christ. I'll never pay it. I can't. It's freely given. That's the game of the law. And what Paul is saying here is if you want to play that game, then play it for real. Because what you're saying is, I don't believe in grace. And I don't think grace was enough. That's what he's saying. Fallen from grace does not mean losing your salvation here, where it talks about that. 
It means abandoning erroneous or error-filled thinking. Abandoning not knowing the truth, not knowing what's true. Um, And the hope of righteousness does not mean that you are going to be maybe saved. I hope I'm saved. (laughs) I hope I'm forgiven. It's not a maybe thing. What this is really saying is the hope, the assurance, the hope for the righteousness that we know will come. God will give us new bodies. You'll be completely freed of your sinful nature and will. It will be gone. You will be you fully, purely the way God intended you to be. When we experience doubt in our freedom, we need to remind ourselves where that doubt comes from. Um, the devil, who is a liar, others and ourselves, but it's not, it is not God. God doesn't put this on us. He fought to get it off of us. That, that's the truth. So sometimes when we feel false guilt or pressure from ourselves or others to behave in a way that would imply we need to earn our freedom and affection from God, we need to press through the guilt and behave on the truth, on reality. What does it say? Adopt no other way. So sometimes your mind's going to lie to you, right? Your mind's going to say, you should feel guilty about this. Go to the word. What does the word tell you? No, you're forgiven. You're bought. You don't need to feel guilty about it. I think if we could have been at the cross and witnessed the crucifixion, we might be more apt or seared in the intensity of God's love for us. When he, when he said in the completeness of that event to tell us die, you know, my mom died a while ago and the anniversary is coming up and I'd never been around someone dying. It was very intense, but I think what's so intense about that is when I read this and I think about Christ on the cross, I think if we could have heard his last breath and we could have heard his words, we would have no doubt as a modern people, we would have no doubt that it was paid. The centurion that was standing there was so overwhelmed that he said, surely this was the son of God. He recognized who Christ was and that, and that he had paid. Um, we live free by being courageous. It's going to take some courage. We exercise faith based on what the Bible clearly tells us about freedom, what it is and how it works. We can live a new life, the free life, because we've been empowered to live it through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Not in compulsion to sin, but by faith. What does it say there in Galatians? By faith through love. And I put in here with, with joy. The Christian has the Holy Spirit indwelling within them. So we're going to close up uh, here in just a second. But before we close out, I don't know if you can see that on there. If you if you are one who has been raised in church environment, home environment, whatever, where there's a lot of legalism, you know, there's a lot of you got to do this to be saved. You got to do this to be justified. I read this book a long time ago, and I've read it a few times. It's a great book. If you know Chuck Swindoll, Charles Swindoll, a theologian, this is called The Grace Awakening. And it will walk you through a lot of examples of legalism and a lot of examples in the church and in, in, you know, in your secular uh, interaction in the world. It will walk you through a lot of things that will enlighten you to what grace is in the scripture and help you practically kind of move through it. So it's a great book called The Grace Awakening by Chuck Swindoll. So I'm going to read that passage one more time, and I'm just going to reflect on it and comment on it based on what we've talked about, and I'll try to close this out because I know I'm a, I'm a hair over, so I apologize. And I appreciate your patience. So it was for freedom that Christ set us free, not, not to be bound, not to have heavy burdens. It was for freedom that he set us free. Keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Defend your freedom. Seize it. It's your birthright. Christ gave it to you. Take it. Stand up for it. Be confident in it. Be courageous in it. 
And I testify again to every man who has himself circumcised that he's obligated to keep the whole law. If you're going to play the law game, you're going to lose. If you got to play it, it has to be perfect. And we are not perfect. We are, fall, we are fallen. We need Christ. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. You're denying the truth. You're trying to live a legalistic life. It's not possible. I'm going to have to keep my finger on this. <laughs> uh, for we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Not a maybe. Not a maybe I'm saved, but what is coming. You will be made whole and perfect. When God says something's finished, it is finished. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Commentator uh, Barnes, a commentator uh, in the in the Bible basically said, said this, what are modern things that are, you know, that are like circumcision, these extra things you've got to do. You should read more. You should pray more. You know, Greg has a morning quiet time with God's word. I have an evening one. Greg's more holy, right? Those kinds of things. Those are the things that this is talking about. Listen to this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Hey, you were running well. You're playing a great game. You were living well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who jacked up your mind, right? Who came to you and said, this isn't the truth. You got to do these things before God, right? Who interfered with your right thinking? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you, capital H. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. A little jacked up thinking messes up your entire ideology or view of grace. Right? A little bit has, a, has an influence. I have confidence in you, Lord, that you will adopt no other view. You'll keep a laser focus on the truth, but the one who is disturbing you will bear the punishment. That's a serious thing. You know, Christ says in another portion of Scripture that you know, the ones who cause the little ones to go astray, to not, to not believe or follow his word. Uh, but as for me, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I persecuted? Paul's saying, I'm telling you the truth. I'm saying it's free. People don't like that. They want to earn it. They want to tell me I have to earn it. Uh, and then and it says here, the stumbling block of the cross, that's grace. That is the abrasiveness of we don't earn it, it's free. Um, I wish that those who are troubling you would even emasculate themselves. I wish they would take away their own power. Just go ahead and, and do it. Take away their own power. I wish that they would do it to themselves because they're stealing your power in Christ. So we, we have been saved. We choose to seize our freedom. You don't lose your freedom. You just choose not to live in it. It's like, it's like being a king or queen and deciding not to exercise your kingdom. What's been given to you. That's what that's like. So we are WIPs. Have you heard that in business? Whips. We're whips. We're works in progress. Every one of us who believes we're works in progress. We're, we're going to sometimes make mistakes. So I'm going to mistake a behavior for freedom when it's not. I'm going to behave a certain way and realize that that wasn't freedom, right? Um, I'm going to mistake a behavior that is a necessity when it actually limits my freedom. You know, I got to get up in the morning like Greg and read out of the word, right? That's not freedom. That's not freedom. But we'll be made like Christ and we are forgiven. We'll continue to become better and better at knowing and behaving our freedom in Christ. You're going to get better. Um, seizing our freedom may cost us something. So like personal discomfort or being judged by others, you know, judgmentalism, it might mean the loss of affection from others, but your freedom is worth it. It is worth it. 
Relationship built on false guilt is not relationship, and it is not freedom in Christ. Um, do not confuse, this is an important one I really love, don't confuse unity with conformity. Uh, and, here, and here's what I mean. Unity is us as a church body being bound and believing that Christ saved the world and that he's our savior. It's agreeing with what the Bible says. Conformity is saying, Fabian, you got to wear the same shirts I wear, or I got to wear the same shirts Fabian wears, and I got to like what Fabian likes. If Fabian doesn't like coffee, I don't like coffee. I'm not a good Christian, right? That's what, that's what conformity is. Unity is being bound in the mission of Christ what the Bible says, and it's exercising your gifts. Let me read this very quickly uh, in 111. This is what Townsend calls uh, interdependence, which is different than codependence. Codependence is, I can't live without you, and I base all my feelings on how you feel and what you do. Interdependence is having genuine need and relationship and giving to each other, give and take. So this interdependence is much like the structure of an old small town or village. The, black, the blacksmith shod the horses. The, I think I'm saying this right. The livery or livery stable took care of them. The grocer fed the people. Each one was necessary, but each one needed the others. Each of you has special gifts, and you do certain things for a living, and you have special passions, and that's good. That's good. It glorifies uh, God. So we need to give ourselves grace. God has. God's given us grace. We need to keep playing with heart, keep behaving by faith through love out of joy. So let's just, let's just close out here. Here's three practical questions or filters on any behavior that you can ask yourself to see if it aligns with your freedom in Christ. So the first is this. Is this a moral issue? And you can write down these verses or remember them if you want. Psalms 119, 105 and Psalms 1, 1 through 2 talks about God's word being a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So is this something that is a moral issue? Has God clearly told me, Quinn? Do not steal. <laughs> God's clearly said that. So it's not in my freedom to steal. That's being bound to the sinful will. Uh, does this have control over me? In 1 Corinthians 6.12, Paul said, I will not be mastered by anything. So let's see. I'll try to come up with this. I drive fast. I like to, if I, if I like to, if I like, that's a bad example. That is wrong to speed. Sorry, Luke. <laughs> Luke could have called me on that right there. I disagree. Uh, Let's, let's see. I like, okay, I like apple pie, right? And Matthew, you like apple pie. Uh, and, and we eat apple pie, right? But I, I can't stop eating apple pie. Matthew, he can have a piece and he's happy. I sit down and I eat six apple pies. That'd be, kind of be gluttonous, wouldn't it? Right? So for me, that has control over me. I'm not free of that. So that dictates how I behave. And here's a good one. Does this harm another's relationship with God? So do I do something that harms somebody else? If, if Peyton, if I, if I know Peyton struggles with, uh, I don't know, action movies. She watches these crazy violent action movies, and I know she struggles with that, but I watch them, and I just really see goodness and evil and the good people winning, but I know if Peyton watches them, it's going to be hard for her, and I don't watch those movies around Peyton, right? Because I'm harming her freedom. I'm harming her freedom. So let's, I don't know if you can see this uh, verse up here. Can you see it? So if you're looking at Galatians uh, 5.1, let's read this together and then we'll close out. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. God loves you. You've been set free. 
live the truth. Live what he's done for you. He paid a big price uh, and he wants it for you. So let me close this out in prayer uh, very quickly and then I'll I'll get off of here. (laughs) Lord God, thank you for today. Um, Thank you for dying for us. Thank you that we are free. And I pray, Lord, if there's someone here who's not free, if there's anybody who doesn't know you and does not believe in you, Lord, doesn't have true freedom, I just pray that something spoken today would speak to them and they would have the courage to ask you questions and to pursue you, that you would answer them. God, give us grace with ourselves and give us grace with one another and let us enjoy our freedom and let that freedom bring you glory, Lord, and bring more people to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please stand well with us in worship.